Welcome to A Novel Life, a podcast about living life in a novel way. I am Lauren Ruth Martin, a licensed therapist in Tennessee. Remember, what we talk about on here has a lot to do with therapy, but this is for educational purposes. So if you're wanting to do the work, make sure you're doing it with your own therapist. I'm so glad you're here. Let's go ahead and get rolling. Back another week. Um, you will notice that if you are subscribed that last week, I was not able to put out a podcast. Um, and part of that was noticing sort of the energy or my sort of stand. I could just hear it in my voice. I could hear that there was a level of like cynicism and almost like saltiness when I was recording last week's episode. Um, and so the content that I was discussing, we're actually going to discuss today um, around like shame and money and how to begin normalizing that conversation about privilege and, and how to just kind of work with each other um, in friendships and, and dating relationships. Um, and I, I recorded the whole episode, I was about to post it and something just didn't feel right about it. And I really want to be respectful to this topic for many reasons. Um, and the rest of the week got to me. And so that's why that's why I'm a week behind. So I'm just going to be honest with you all about that. Um, I have a myriad of things that I have on my plate per week. And me in this phase of my life and in this phase of what the podcast is for me, um, I, I have to be consistent in so many other areas of my life that if I'm ever not consistent here, it's because I'm serving my clients and I'm serving my family. And my goal is to always remain consistent. Um, unless it's, there's like a holiday, the goal is to remain consistent. Um, hopefully there will never be more than a week gap, um, unless something comes up. And even then, you know, I think, I think we can be flexible with each other. That's what we're all trying to model here. And I really appreciate y'all being here and I want to be consistent for y'all. And I also have to make sure that my role here, um, matches the context of my life of where it is now. And what I want to do is to produce very authentic, genuine content that is, that is going to bring you value. And I felt like my attitude last week during the recording of this content wasn't going to bring value. I feel like it wasn't elevating the conversation. And so I just wanted to, it, sometimes it's not about perfection. Um, it's more about providing value and being um, authentic when I show up. And it just didn't feel right. So I appreciate y'all being patient. We're going to cover the topic of money and shame today. I'm also going to discuss um, when we get back from the break, um, the idea about maintenance and therapy and be this kind of, there's just been not a trend, but more discussion lately about full recovery or being cured as opposed to maintenance work and how that relates in um, when it comes to being over controlled and maybe having more chronic depression, like the things I specialize in. I just kind of want to talk about the ebbs and flows of therapy and how that can help sort of frame your work um, and help when those pockets of discouragement come up, especially in times like this, like where the context of life can just be hard. Um, it doesn't mean that great things can't be produced out of it. So stick around for that sort of stuff. Um, also, I'm coming to y'all today with like a fresh coat of blonde. I'm feeling a little bit better about myself. Um, I am signed up for a really, really exciting project later this month. It's a it's a conference um, to where I can hopefully even learn more about podcasting and branding. And it, it, 
I'm just really excited. So, um, and y'all will be along for that journey. Um, as always, if y'all ever have feedback about this show, if you ever catch me being salty, if you're ever curious about my tone on a topic, please message me on Instagram at Novel Counseling. Um, give me feedback on this because I like if I don't have that feedback, then I'm not going to have that awareness to my blind spots. I can be as self-aware as possible and I can still get it wrong. And I want to be able to clarify anything or um, have moments to teach me how to do things better. And the only way I can do that is with feedback from y'all. I have my feedback in my in my tribe, but I want feedback from y'all too, because you matter. So stick around. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. And when we get back, I'll answer some questions. All right, this week's question comes from Instagram. As always, you can message me at Novel Counseling or each week I post um, a Q&A segment um, and I'll answer questions on my stories, but then I'll also go into more detail here if I feel like it's a, a question that I want to elaborate more on. So this week's question was, have you seen people re- fully recover from their OC, which is over control? And what I answered on Instagram um, was essentially that I have seen people improve their lives And we don't want to, or at least I don't want to as a therapist, if somebody comes to me with um, unhelpful over control or an over controlled temperament, that's getting in the way of them having a more flexible life, having a more open life. I don't want to completely get rid of that because that person's over controlled temperament and nature actually serves a lot of purpose, like somebody's perfectionism, somebody's attention to detail, somebody's ability to have tact or to care about what they say. A lot of those things that are with over control have many benefits. Um, They're typically polite people, very hard workers. Um, They are more cautious. And so they're not just willy nilly with their decision making. Um, There's a level of um, like their meticulous nature keeps things very much succinct and in control. We don't want to totally get rid of that. We're not the goal of therapy for what I work with is not to turn people with over control into people with under control. We don't need a bunch of under controlled people in the world, just like we don't need um, all over controlled people in the world. So when it comes to recovery, when it comes to improving if you are somebody with over control, the idea is, is to, and this is part of the radically open DBT treatment model, and the same with acceptance and commitment therapy, is to reduce engagement and rule goal or rule and like goal oriented behavior, where it's not helpful. And it's to increase connection with others, increase values based behaviors. And so I've seen a fair amount of my clients. Um, and, and I'm aware that I'm not bragging on myself. And so I'm aware of my resistance to be like, I've seen a lot of people. I've seen people become more flexible. I've seen them become more aware of their rigidity and see where it does get in the way and to begin making moves to shift that. Um, that looks different for different people. What they want their outcome to be looks different. However, just like for anybody in therapy, and I think that's like where if you're aiming for a 100% cured recovery, that can set up for some disappointment in 
therapy, especially if you have a more chronic issue. Um, and with some of these habits that we develop in order to survive in our day to day life, we have to recognize that all of our behavior, a lot of our thinking patterns have all been influenced in ways that we've adapted to survive our day to day life. And so if you've been in therapy, and you feel like you have a good grasp, um, and you're maintaining um, some flexibility and openness, and you feel like you're in a good spot, there's a chance that like something's going to come up that's going to cause some depression, whether that's biological or environmental, like things are going to come up. And so it's not about always preventing the onset of bad stuff. It's about increasing our adaptability when it does come into play. And it's also about being aware of the factors that do make us more likely to get back in our stuck points again. So therapy can be preventative therapy can be reactive. And in fact, you're constantly sort of navigating this, you know, pendulum of working towards um, preventative care and then working towards reactive because we can't control everything that happens. And so I've absolutely seen my over-controlled clients improve. And I've also seen them like get back on their bullshit again, because that's what happens in life and in therapy. I mean, me as a therapist, like there are some days where I'm not being mindful and I go back to my old ways of coping and I go back to old thinking patterns because they can feel so habitual and so comfortable. And to me, a good sign of therapy is when those old patterns of thinking and old ways of coping um, are easy to bring back on, but they don't feel comfortable and they don't feel as effective or useful because you found other tools that help you feel better in the long run. So it's all about improvement as opposed to having a hard stop. Let's take a breather. I'll be right back. Okay, let's try this again. I have a better attitude. I'm less salty. I think I'm a little bit more rested. All right. So this week's topic was inspired by a TikTok that I posted last week, uh, where it actually went viral. It was my first TikTok to ever go viral. And I'm going to check how many views it's had. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um, last time, I checked, it's had over 63,000 views. And so that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, I don't understand the TikTok algorithm, but that one was cool for it to come out. And I was talking about things to normalize in adult relationships. And one thing that I wrote in there was to offer to chip in on childcare. And the way that I meant it was if your friends, you know, if you're going out with friends and somebody that has a kid can't afford a babysitter was for everybody just to chip in like five, 10 bucks, even if it was to help, you know, for that friend to get out for an hour, just to, as like a token of like, Hey, like, let's, let's help you be able to join with us. Um, and I think people took that as, um, offering to chip in on childcare, like on a monthly basis. And there was a lot of energy around that. So that wasn't, that wasn't the case, but it did bring up in the comments, like a, somebody was very gracious and helped me rephrase what that could also mean. And that's this idea of destigmatizing, asking for financial help with friends. And it really got me thinking around, um, you know, I'm in my mid thirties, but the past, you know, decade or so over this past decade, I've been in different, I've been in different levels of financial comfort and discomfort. And I think 
there's something around money and discussing money and finances and expectations around what friends can and can't pay for that really gets reinforced in our culture and it can lead to a lot of isolation and loneliness. And I posted on Instagram if that had been the case for a lot of people and I got I got a good amount of feedback on it. And what I realized, so the to kind of lay the foundation of this, I want us to be aware the term privilege has been coming up more and more and more. I'm mainly gonna focus on the idea of money and um, coming from a, a certain level of money. Um, I'm not gonna get into things like um, like race or like, because when privilege people often associate that with race and gender and stuff like that. And I'm not gonna go there. I'm mainly gonna focus on the idea of financial stability and financial comfort and um, how that impacts our relationships. And it's funny because somebody wrote to me that they experienced a lot of shame around it being a bridesmaid. And that was also a lot of my experience, both being a bride and a bridesmaid. And it just really got me going. Like if I would know what I know now, if I would have had that mentality back in my 20s, I think that I've, I think there's just a lot better of conversations that I could have had with friends. And so I think this idea where it kind of evolved to. So the foundation of it is recognizing that there's both shame in having money and there's both shame and not having money. So there's shame, there's both shame and having and not having money, especially if in your friend circle or in the circles that you run in, there are different levels of financial availability within there. Because if you think about the idea of um, community, um, RO calls it tribe, I call it community. Shame has evolved from that because if you couldn't contribute to the community, then you would get kicked out. And that was usually by, you know, hunting, gathering, protecting. So if you couldn't provide in that area, then you weren't helpful for survival. And I think that concept very much comes up now when we think about finances, like when you go to a, um, when you go to a restaurant and they say, well, the bill has to be split evenly. And if you're on a budget and somebody got a filet and you didn't, like how that, that, that can lead to some, what we would deem awkward conversations. And I think that's where we need to start for us as a culture to really break that shame is really normalizing the topic of bringing up conversations and bringing up price points to our friends um, on both ends of the spectrum. So like examples of this would be if I'm trying to hang out with one of my girlfriends and I could text her and say, hey, do you want to go to do you want to go out for coffee? Or I have coffee here if that's just like easier on our budgets to do that. And do you hear the word our budgets? Because even if you are coming from a place of money, it's still saving you money to do this. Um, same thing with, hey, it's my birthday dinner. Um, this is one that I would get tripped up a lot in my 20s is that we would do these birthday dinners and everybody's splitting the check or they're paying for their own meal. And like, you just kind of go with what the person of honor wants. 
Um, and so if you're that person of honor, giving somebody a heads up, but also giving them an out of, hey, I'm thinking about going to this steakhouse for dinner. If that's within your price point, I would love to see you there. If you need to hang back, no worries, we'll hang out and do something another time. And that may sound overly accommodating. And I could also hear people saying, well, you know, they can just tell me if they can't afford it. And I think that is where we have to be aware of shame. And we have to think about if the shoe is on the other foot, you know, because some of us, like, I'll be honest with you, like myself, I stretched my budget and I probably overspent and overcompensated for my lack of financial stability in my 20s. I went to great lengths to cover it up. Like, I'll never forget being at a bachelorette party and things were just kind of seeming, you know, it was, it was super chill. I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy a round for everybody just to kind of spice it up a little bit. And I didn't have the means to do that. But that was like my own sort of people pleasing and shame around money coming up. Like I remember how that felt viscerally and how doing that helped me feel a little bit more in control. It helped me feel like I belonged because I'll be honest with you in that moment, I was feeling really insecure about myself and I was like, okay, this is how I can make them like me. This is how I don't get kicked out of the group in that moment. Even if that wasn't true, it's how I felt. And I think having this sort of like dual responsibility to recognize that If we're asking for our friends to be a part of our special moments, a part of our day um, for the it's that idea that our our choices are freely chosen and sometimes shame and the desire to not be a pain um, can't override that and cause resentment. Um, And I think when we normalize that conversation, it takes almost the personal nature out of it and then we start decreasing blame and increasing empathy for each other because it's no longer um, there's no longer a stigma around that conversation it's the idea of first dates with people if you're going on a first date just putting it out there from the beginning of hey I will cover the date tonight I'm thinking about going here is that something you're comfortable with or hey you know what since it's the first date and we're getting to know each other should like how do you feel about splitting the bill and that being able to be a conversation because I I know that in this in the time between when I was dating um which was over a decade ago. So that feels like forever ago. There's been a shift in the idea of who picks up the tab, this idea of equality. And so having that conversation up front before the check is even delivered, it just helps it become a normal conversation. Um, Hey, I'm going to grab some food. I'm thinking of going here. Do you want anything? Um, I can cover it for you. Or, hey, if I get this, will you just Venmo me? Making it seem very casual as opposed to making it seem sort of like shame-filled. Because I know, um, and again, for context sake, I am from the South and I have been, my my friend group is one that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that they are, um, uber ritzy, but um, we've all had a degree uh, of financial privilege, but also um, people that like we couldn't just have any, everything that we wanted. Like we had to work for what we have and we have to provide for ourselves. And so, but with that, the idea of keeping in mind and having a lens of consideration for each other's financial 
sort of expectations around things, I think is really helpful. And really being able to normalize us setting limits around what we can and can't do. Um, The examples that come to mind for me around this are around um, being in somebody's bridal party and asking up front of or saying up front to the bride, hey, financially, I'm in a tough spot. Um, I'll be able to cover the important things like a dress or this or that, or what are you sort of having in mind for things like the bachelorette party? Because if you're wanting me to financially keep up, then I need to know that before I commit. And I think that's something that at least in, in my culture, and I know as a bride, I was not necessarily... I I can't, I've kind of blacked that part of my time out because it was so stressful in my head. Um, But I I don't remember having conversations like that or even really being open to those conversations because it was stressful. And I think that there can be a level of obligation and a level of resentment that can come up. Like when somebody says, well, we paid X amount of money for this wedding to entertain you. The least you can do is bring a gift. And when I think about that, I I know it comes from a place of stress because I, as a, as a bride that's been there, it can come from a place of stress um, of wanting to put on a very great event and it's not cheap. And in the same token though, everybody's perspective on what makes for a good wedding is different. And so the people attending my wedding did not ask for a Girl Scout cookie bar. It was amazing. You know, they didn't ask for all of these things. So how, like, who am I to say that, you know, despite their invitation, that the price of admittance would be a gift. And I think that's, being more aware of that and the the obligation that can come with um, the exchanging of finances or even if we gift people things or if we pay for people's um, education or contrib- or if we contribute to people in financial ways, being aware of the expectations that we tie around it um, and and, and seeing how, because I think it's, we don't discuss money in order to make it fair. Like the bridesmaids, it's not really common for them to get around and, and, you know, the bride sends out the dress that everybody's wearing and for them to collectively say, hey, that dress is too expensive. You know, most of us, at least in Southern culture, would bite our tongues and write the check. And I, I think that we need to do a better job at normalizing these conversations as they go. And, and, and starting at an early age, I wish that my friends and I had more conversations around money so that we could know, like, how do, what do we expect for a salary? Um, how do I begin saving money? Um, and if you're somebody that has had these conversations, please send me feedback on it because um, I feel like there was just not a lot of, there was a lot of assuming that everybody, if you agreed to go out, if you agreed to join the party, if you agreed to do this, then you're basically signing an open check to cash for whatever amount will be expected of you. And this happens in lots of little ways. Like when we invite people to go out, we don't, we don't talk about, Hey, what bar can you afford? Or, Hey, we're going to a concert. What level, like what seating level can you afford? Or like, 
maybe with a concert because that's a little bit easier like what section do you want to try to go in which is like a very discreet way of saying what can you afford but that idea of honoring each other's financial sort of being and on the end of not having money and or being like when I was in grad school and not really um not really mindful of my money and not really able to have a ton of disposable income, being aware of how I may have projected my envy out to my friends that that did. Um, Because, you know, how fair is that for me to make somebody feel bad for their hard work and what they've earned? And I think there's a difference between like blatant jealousy and out coming out of fear um, and genuine envy where um, you admire or want to be in that place of comfort. Um, I think that it's easy to get a little bit more of a defensive tone. Um, now, and, and to on the other side, sometimes people that have had a more financially stable life have blind spots to it. And so I think that's like where... I'm saying if we have these conversations, if we offer perspective to each other, then we don't feel like we have to start out being on the defense of, you know, why it's wrong to have money or it's wrong to not have money. Um, there are a myriad of factors that contribute um, both internally and externally that contribute to one's financial status. And I think that if we can begin helping each other and encouraging each other to be open about where they are and what they need, then I actually think that we would all be able to succeed to where we could be in a more comfortable spot with each other as friends. Now, is that potentially kind of like a, a pipe dream? Maybe, you know, more than likely it can be a pipe dream. And so the focus of kind of beginning this conversation about a conversation about shame and money is to begin like it's basically planting a seed in y'all and and definitely planting a seed in me too around this idea of how much do I talk about money or how much do I not? How much do I consider when making plans with people? Do I acknowledge, you know, my status or other people's status or what they have when making plans? So like your step, so let's put it into steps. And step one is really as always, taking inventory of how this conversation around money exists or doesn't in your day-to-day life and especially in your relationships. Um, And then ask yourself, what might influence that? Is that culture? Is that shame? Is that um, that you don't, you've never been told that it's okay to have that conversation? Is that because you don't have the right words to say? Like what influences that the presence or the lack of presence of conversation in that. If we think about step two, it, it would be to have the conversation. Like begin having the conversation in more lighthearted ways. Um, basically offering when you make plans, a like a high and low end option. Um, you know, offering, coming up with activities that maybe don't involve money, like going to the park or um, doing you know, just hanging out at each other's house or being aware of gas money or um, 
or fare money to get to each other's house, maybe finding a location in the middle. The idea of beginning to implement accommodations um, to get creative with what you do, um, because in a way it's almost a win-win in the sense of you're getting to explore ideas um, and find things that actually do help financially if you are in a good spot or not to save money. And the third step I think would be to, so it's taking inventory, have the conversation. And the third step I think is just to increase empathy around money and to recognize um, how that is working right now. Especially when, if you see somebody not having to contribute the full fare for something with friends, having empathy instead of resentment with that. Um, And if you find yourself continuing to have that resentment, is there a chance that you need to stand up and advocate for yourself? I think this is a really good start to a conversation and a mindset that we need to carry into the holiday season. Um, Asking friends, are we doing gifts? Are we not? Do we want to write letters? Do we want to do a cookie exchange? Um, What can we do? Because some people are still furloughed from their job. Some people are still maxed out with COVID fatigue. Um, Some people may just not have the bandwidth to do things like this. And so if we start this conversation around finances, then we can even broaden it out to things like emotional bandwidth, who has energy, who has time, so that we can start really checking in rather than implying expectations. Thank y'all so much for hanging with me and hanging out for another week of A Novel Life. Do me a favor, hop on your podcast app and rate, review, and subscribe. The more that you do that, the more that you share this podcast, the more that it gets out. And like, don't let this be a secret. Like you can keep other secrets. Just don't make this one a secret. And if you do write a review, please screenshot and message that to me. And I would love to send you some stickers because stickers are my jam. Um, Thanks again for hanging out. As always, have the week you're going to have. And I'll catch you next time.